And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. But it's Friday, March 25th, the year of our Lord 2022. This product normally does not drop in your podcast feed on a Friday. But as you know, things get a little sideways sometimes in a good way around here in the spring. And that's the whole thing about having a dream job, which I claim to have. And I believe I have. If you grind away like only we can in the fall and we do Late Kick Live and you're on the road 16 weeks in a row, if you do all that, the high-level mustaches in management, some of whom are in the building even as I record this, so let me be quiet. Some of them will look at you and they'll turn a blind eye and say, go chase tornadoes in the spring if you want to. And so that's what I was doing this week. I was down in, uh, shout out to Hattiesburg, Meridian, Laurel, Mississippi, Heidelberg, Soso, Mississippi. I met people in every one of those communities, made sure to give you guys a shout out as promised at random gas stations. I was down there earlier this week, so we pushed the Late Kick Extra Pod a little bit later in the week. I appreciate you working with me on that. Early, early guidance looks like it may be the same way next week, so we'll see. But we've got a wall-to-wall mailbag for you this morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you're choosing to listen. Appreciate you guys so much. Anytime you want to submit questions, at Late Kick Josh, Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, Instagram. Of course, the email inbox is open as well, joshpate706 at gmail.com. But I do want to give you like a 10-second thank you. We're continuing to do this the way we're doing it because the numbers continue to be there. And the way we do it around here, for those of you who are new and haven't been around, we just do college football year round. I'm aware March Madness is going on. I'm aware the draft is coming up. I understand that opening day of Major League Baseball is coming up. And if you want to talk about those things, there are plenty of shows to do it. But I know a lot of you love college football and you want a place where you can just talk about it in some shape, form, or fashion year round and keep all the outside stuff on the outside. That is Late Kick, and that is what we're about here. So with that, let's dive in. First question is from Mac, and he said, Josh, what are some of the best non-conference matchups you're looking forward to this fall? Well, we've got several of them now. I want to qualify what I'm going to say. Most of the games I'm going to mention, I think all of them, in fact, are going to be in the first three weeks of the season. I understand we have a lot of rivalry games at the end of the year. Florida plays Florida State every year. Uh, You know, we have a lot of of out-of-conference rivalry games every year. But let's talk about the September matchups. And there are some of them that maybe you haven't gotten a preview magazine season yet, so maybe you haven't looked and you aren't aware these games are happening. Well, let me tell you, there are some big ones. So in no particular order, I mean, we've got Cincinnati going to Arkansas. Do you guys realize that? Last year... Arkansas played uh, someone, it may have been Rice. I think we were chanting, don't lose to food when Arkansas opened the season last year. So they played Rice. Well, this year they opened against Cincinnati. So that's a playoff team coming into Fayetteville. That's not a neutral site game. Also, the backyard brawl, producer Jesse, overly excited about this. When you got West Virginia and Pitt, Utah is going to Florida. That's not a neutral site game. I want to make sure you understand that because Georgia versus Oregon, for example, is another game I'm looking at. That's Dan Lanning's opener, former Georgia defensive coordinator, now head coach at Oregon. Will they open in Atlanta? Now, our friends out west will say, what are you talking about? That's not neutral. That, that would be like us playing a neutral game in Portland. Yeah, I get that. But it is being played somewhere other than Athens or Eugene. And also, Another on-campus game. This, this would be my guess for the game that we're going to attend in week one, and that is Notre Dame at Ohio State. So I just gave you five of them, but it doesn't stop there. Because as I said, the entire month of September is really loaded, and I think a lot of you may be hearing these matchups for the first time. So in week uh, two and week three, I mean, think about week two. Florida State plays LSU. That's a Sunday game. So I think that's that Labor Day Eve game. Uh, you've got Alabama at Texas the next weekend. 
That's in Austin, not neutral site, guys. Alabama at Texas. Miami is going to Texas A&M a week later. Uh, that same weekend that Miami goes to A&M, Penn State goes to Auburn. And you've also got Oklahoma at Nebraska. These games are all happening within the first three weeks of the season. So first off, hat tip to all these universities who are scheduling the out-of-conference games the way they are, especially the ones in the Big Ten or the SEC, because Fact of the matter is they don't really need to. They'll already have the, they would have the strength of schedule they needed regardless. So hats off when you do that. But I'm really excited about those. And I'm looking for the second year in a row at a high-profile matchup in Fayetteville. And uh, it's a place I haven't been. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. And yet I'm also looking at Notre Dame versus Ohio State. Think about the subplots. If you're a storyline person, think about Marcus Freeman. You know, think about all the, the tie-ins that he has there in the Midwest, and they go, with, in his first game as a head coach, no less, they go to play Ohio State. Uh, think about Cincinnati and Luke Fickle and what maybe could have been, but Luke Fickle stays at Cincinnati because of the success they had, and they went so deep into the postseason that he did not go interview for other jobs. Therefore, Marcus Freeman gets the Notre Dame job. Luke Fickle still at Cincinnati. They're opening in week one on the road in the SEC. There is a lot to look forward to. Uh, Out-of-conference games are always a blessing in every sense of the word. Enjoy them because then you start diving into conference play. You don't get as many of them until like the last week of the year, and those are the ones you get every year. So those are the ones I would circle. I mean, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game, there's going to be so many questions about both programs, quite frankly, but Ohio State especially. You know, you'll have a lot of validation seeking. You'll have a lot of things you think you know. It's a segment we do on the show sometimes. I think I know. Well, you're going to think that you know Ohio State is right up there below Alabama as one of the preemptive preseason favorites to make the playoff, to uh, play for a national championship. Well, they don't open against uh, Miami of Ohio. You know, they open against a legitimate out-of-conference opponent. And it wasn't, what, but week two last year that Oregon came in there and ruined a lot of postseason hopes and ruined a lot of things for them. So looking forward to a lot of those. But yeah, it's a loaded September. That September card is loaded to, uh, loaded to the brim. Move on here. We, have a, we had a question come our way that we get some version of a lot. And I appreciate you submitting the question. So please don't mistake my tone here. But we got a question. I'll read it to you and then I'll give you the answer. But I think you've heard this in some shape, form or fashion before. So David hit us up and David asked, or he said rather, the most recent championship game was one of the least watched ever. That was Georgia versus Alabama, the rematch, Indianapolis, you get the picture. David continues, how important is it to make West Coast people care about college football again? Is the game now too regional? So there is, there's a few different ways you can answer this. In a perfect world, David, and anyone else who asks this question, because I get a version of it weekly, yes, in a perfect world, you would never have the sport be regional. You would have, in a perfect world, Oregon and USC in contention, and you would have uh, Clemson and Miami in contention, and you would have Texas A&M and Georgia in contention, and you would have uh, Minnesota, let's throw a rando in there, you'd have, you'd have representation across the country. You'd have Nebraska uh, not be down like they have for a while. You would have all portions of the country represented. Absolutely you would. But here's what that would include. That would include proper decision-making, therefore proper hires, proper high-level investment, sound development and recruiting practices, and building those programs to sustain at a high level. If all that happened, I'd love it, because that's the perfect world. But David, as you know, uh, this is no fairy tale world, kind of like they said in Shawshank. 
Prison's no fairy tale world, neither is college football, so sometimes you don't have the best of decisions being made. Sometimes you do have disproportionate passion and investment in one region relative to other regions, and therefore you get a disproportionate outcome. Now you can interpret that one of two ways. You can either say they need to do better, or you can look at it and say we need to reverse engineer the entire structure of college football to try and inject equality into this thing, equality of outcomes here. We want representation across the board in the playoff. I've never been a believer in the latter. I am a wholehearted believer in the former. The reason why I believe in that is because you can talk about the South having a stranglehold on college football all you want to. The South hasn't had a stranglehold on college football. Some programs in the South have. Because if you look at the University of Tennessee right now, what does that SEC sticker on the side of their helmet mean over the last decade? Because I'm told that the sport has been tilted in favor of the SEC just for the sake of being the SEC. Well, that's not the case. The sport has been and forever will be tilted in favor of major programs, true enough, but the ones who are making good decisions. If you don't make good decisions, and chiefly I'm talking about hiring practices, if you don't hire the right coaches, there's no amount of advantage in the world the sticker on your helmet can give you that can overcome poor decision-making. And there's been a lot of poor decision-making and consequences paid for that. And there have been a lot of good decisions made at places like Georgia, at places like A&M, at places like Alabama, at places uh, like Clemson, at places like Ohio State. Yeah, they've made good decisions. So to go back to the question, David, this last game was the least watched, one of the least watched ever. This gets me down a rabbit hole. I got to be careful or I'll go like 20 minutes on this answer and, and production room will get mad at me. But so the first answer, I guess, I guess my first response, I want to be kind of measured about it. My first response is I would love that ideal world. But I also know that I love the spirit of competition. This is not, you know, Vince McMahon's WWE. If it was, then we could script this how we want to. That's not the way this works. The price you pay for pure competition is sometimes you don't get the outcomes you want. It doesn't always work out like a perfect story arc of a movie. You know, everyone in this building agrees that Almost Famous is one of the best movies ever made. And it's a beautiful story arc. Well, this is not Almost Famous. Uh, this is the real world and it's real world competition. So sometimes you let that, that competitive market play out and some people survive and some people fail. I'd love to see Oregon there every year. I'd love to see Washington. I'd love to see the Arizona schools. I'd love to see USC. Yeah, I'd love to see all of them. But I also can't, when they're not holding up their end of the deal, reshape the sport to make up for their shortcomings. You know, I can't do that. Second thing is because of that, we got the outcome we had this year. It just, it just was what it was. But here's the third question I have, and this is a little bit broader. Have you noticed some of you guys take part in this, so you can explain to me what I'm missing. I have noticed over the past decade or so, people who have no stake in production companies, no stake in television companies, and no stake in any kind of the overall college football broadcast infrastructure start caring about ratings and start talking to me about how this game only got this many viewers and ratings were down for this game and that conference. Why do you care? What, what could you possibly have to gain or lose from knowing what the viewership metrics on a game were? And secondly, the folks who asked the questions, I'm gonna be kind about this, I'm trying to be kind. 
Do you really understand in the modern digital media age how to interpret those numbers? Do you really understand how irrelevant a Nielsen number is today versus 2005? Like, do you even know what you're looking at in a lot of cases? Because I'm telling you, I work in our industry and sometimes I sit in on those meetings and my head's swimming. And I do claim to know a little bit about it. And so a lot of times you're just flat out being misled, but let's take it for what it is on the surface. Even if you're not being misled, why do you care? But like, for instance, a lot of people use it anecdotally to build this straw man argument. And here's what it sounds like. Let's say I am on the other side of the fence that I actually am. Let's say I want college football playoff expansion. And I believe that's what will save the sport and resurrect uh, this fabled competitive balance that we're missing. And I look at the current structure and it just gave us Georgia, Alabama. And I look at the ratings and say it's low. I take that rating and I say, look, this low rating is proof that the sport is dying and we need my change. Well, that's a straw man argument. Because the fact of the matter is, You'll have to see this to believe it, I know. But the fact of the matter is, your expanded format, truth be told, will yield an even higher percentage chance of those sorts of outcomes. And guess what those ratings would look like? No different than the one you just saw. So when you get your new format, and it produces any given year the same kind of result we just had from a, a pure numeric standpoint, what are you going to tell me then? Because anecdotally, I, in bad faith, could take it and rub it right back in your face. My advice is stop paying attention to stuff that really you have no business caring about. It's not that you shouldn't be allowed to care about it. I'm telling you, you don't have any business caring about it. It's not your business. Literally, it's not your business. Enjoy what you enjoy. Watch what you want to watch. I do not care uh, in, a, in a very, very micro standpoint about the numbers that a given game delivers and use that to extrapolate out my opinion over, you know, what what serves the greater good of a sport. That's not the way it works. That's not how trends work. That's not how actual data analysis is supposed to work. So I do not view this last year's national championship rating as, a, um, as an indictment on the whole sport. No, I don't feel that way. Tried not to go long, did anyway, but trust me, that was a Cliff Notes version of how I really feel. Uh, moving on here. This one came to us by way of Slade. Slade asks, what is the most interesting program in the country and why is it LSU? Seriously, it's always something. Yeah, it is. I wrote down quickly three programs that I think are pretty interesting. Uh, and I didn't put Alabama in here. You could put Alabama. You could put a bunch of programs in here. But LSU is absolutely one of them. Slade's right. There's always something happening at LSU. And there's, the reality is there's always something happening everywhere. It's just more high profile at LSU. Now, you may think that's a bad thing. And I'm not here to mask, you know, the Will Wade basketball allegations. No, those aren't good. But let's really zoom it out for a second. And let's think about what it really means when there seems to always be drama around your program. I've never viewed that as a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Drama constantly is not the worst thing you can have around your program. Apathy is. Because the programs where apathy has sunk in, they still have problems. It's just people don't even care enough to talk about it. And so when you lack that, that's something that's really hard. I could clean up a program. If the passion's there and I don't have to manufacture the passion, I can clean up a program. In other words, you would much rather have a horse that you have to tell slow down than constantly have to say giddy up to. Because it's hard to take a horse that doesn't want to giddy up and make it giddy up. Now, you can slow him down. You can pull the reins back all the time. Well, it's the same way with 
football programs, whether it be LSU, uh, Ohio State is this way. Like, I think those programs are in such a white hot spotlight because there's so many people who care that it kind of manufactures the illusion of more drama proportionally than actually exist other places. They've got the problems other people have. It's just there's, there's so many more eyeballs on those programs that it seems like it's a bigger deal. And so I think LSU, it's very interesting to watch that place on a, on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis. Ohio State's the same way. And I'll tell you what stands out about Ohio State. There is so much media that covers Ohio State. There's so many different outlets that cover Ohio State that you, you rarely have a stone that goes unturned around that place. So you just have so many places. I don't want to mention them because I don't want to single any one out. Bucknuts I'll single out because they're part of our, our network. But, I mean, there are, there's a huge infrastructure of Ohio State football-dedicated media around that Buckeye program to where anything that happens, someone sneezes and strains their neck. Three different people have headlines within the hour. It looks like this is one of the most drama-filled programs in America. No, it's just one of the most covered programs one of the most watched programs in America. But you know a third one that interests me that doesn't necessarily fall under these parameters is Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State exists outside of the true national microscope, but yet they succeed when they're not supposed to, really. They do not get a fraction of the recruiting traction that Oklahoma does, uh, nor do they get what Texas does. And they're in Stillwater, Oklahoma. They do not have a truly national brand. When you say Oklahoma State, here's what I think. I think Boone Pickens and and everything that he did for the program. And I think um, very, very close quarters on the sidelines. Those are the two things I think about. So I think about their stadium design and I think about their, their angel donor in Boone Pickens. And other than that, it's a pretty anonymous program nationally. I know you guys locally, you eat, sleep, and breathe it. And, I, and so you don't feel that way. But I'm telling you what people in like Albany, New York, or Sacramento, California would think about Oklahoma State football. And yet they win, and yet they're always in contention. And logic tells you that it shouldn't be that way. Logic tells you, just like it did with Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State, it said, it, logic said, that guy shouldn't be competing with Urban Meyer in Ohio State. Just like logic says, how does Mike Gundy have Oklahoma State always competing? And it's called culture. It's called blueprint. They just got something that works there. But they do it out of the spotlight. And it seems nationally like every year, preview magazine season rolls around. And, of course, you've got the is this Texas is your crowd, and you've got Oklahoma the preemptive favorite crowd. And Oklahoma State's just this team that everyone wants to sound intellectually superior about. So they'll say, you got to watch Oklahoma State. But if I really nailed you down, and I said, really? Name me five players to watch. You'd be stuck. It'd be a good thing we weren't on live TV because you would have embarrassed yourself. Meanwhile, I probably wouldn't be able to name five of them either. I just would have pinned you to the wall, therefore absolving myself. But Oklahoma State's fun to watch to me for totally different reasons than the first two were. LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma State. If you give me those three and I give them to an agnostic fan and I just deliver headlines from those three programs and those three beats, you get a really good slice, kind of a cross-section, if you will, of of at multiple levels what makes this sport great. I got something else for you that makes it great too, because it's our next question. Uh, this is gonna hit really close to home, because let's see, two of, these, two of these answers I'm about to give you have come from the last year. Uh, Colby asked, do you have any good mascot stories? Who is your favorite and best mascot? I, um, 
I believe Alabama should have a live elephant. Colin, I think it was you who said this the other day. So Director Colin and I are in total agreement here. There are some reasons, practically, why a full-grown live elephant would not work around 101,000 people, but I can think of many more reasons why it would work. So if you think of a clever hashtag, we can start that campaign here. But as for mascots that actually exist, there is no mascot out there that is a person in a suit that gets me fired up. I need a true living, breathing animal, firstly. And so I have isolated three of them. One of them is Ugga, not Harry Dog, Ugga, the actual bulldog. So let's see, it would be three or four years ago, Georgia went to LSU. One of like a couple of times in the past century that they've made that trip down there with the way the SEC schedule currently works. So I was down there for the game. Always love going to Tiger Stadium. Well, here was the interesting facet. If you are like me, most of you are. You just grew up loving college football. I, I did not grow up and then go to journalism school straight out of high school and then go straight to working as a beat writer straight out of college. I didn't do that. There was a huge chunk of my young adulthood where, as you know, I was working in the fabric warehouse, just a college football fan in the state of Georgia, no less. So, you know, my Saturdays, there was a lot of Georgia football, watched a lot of SEC football, but I would, all, I would always see the mascot from afar. And I would always... I would always think about all these Georgia buddies of mine whose dad went to school there, whose brother played there, and they'd all have pictures of them with Ugga up on their walls when I would go to their house. And I would have uh, like a hot dog in my hand or something. Like that's as close as I got to a picture with a famous dog. So anyway, fast forward, and all of a sudden, I, out of all of those people, end up in a business that puts me in direct contact with Ugga. So anyway, this is where we go to Tiger Stadium. So we're down there. It's a 3.30 game. It's really hot. I'm in a room that is reserved post-game for the visitors' press conference. But during the game, because these stadiums are old and there aren't just uh, limitless amounts of locker rooms, during the game, a lot of times those post-game media rooms are used for cheerleaders to have like a kind of a side locker room. Um, the officials will sometimes be in there, but also the mascots will be in there. So I am the only person in the room. I'm just sitting on the floor. I'm watching games on my laptop. The mascot team brings Ugga in, the actual bulldog. And he sits there. And so, I kid you not, for about 15, 20 minutes before this game, most surreal experience, if I really stopped and thought about it for a second, it was me sitting on the floor, and it was that bulldog, Ugga, sitting next to me on the floor. And then his handler was in there. And I just thought to myself, if I were to rewind 10 years and then I would show myself that somehow, some way, 10 years from now, this will be you, and you will not have snuck into this room. Some entity will be paying you to be there. I would have thought to myself, well, what, what planet is that happening on? Certainly not Earth. Certainly not this lifetime. So that was the first story. And I'll always remember that. And then the second story came from this past year when I was at the Red River Shootout, not to be called anything else on this program. And Oklahoma-Texas are just having a wild back-and-forth game, uh, like over 100 combined points, highest point total in series history. And so most of the game I was in the Oklahoma end zone because at the Cotton Bowl they have a single tunnel. And so the media room, I'm not going to go as far as to call it a suite because the Cotton Bowl was built just after the Revolutionary War, I think. So uh, the media room is in the Oklahoma end zone. Therefore, I have no reason to go all the way down to the Texas end zone. And it's, it's pretty close quarters on the sideline there, too. So it's not the easiest thing to get back and forth. Well, I'm in the Oklahoma end zone most of the game. Bevo is not 
in that end zone. He's in the Texas end zone. So later in the game, as Texas is about to try and drive to retake the lead or to tie the game, I decide, you know what, I'm going to go down there because I thought the game may end down there. Not a lot of time left. Texas has got the ball. They're about to try and go on a drive. So I get down to the Texas end zone. Now, as it turns out, they, they went and scored in like three or four plays, and Xavier Worthy's going off, true freshman, over 250 yards receiving that day. He catches a touchdown pass, and that place goes crazy. And, you know, you got the, the cannon firing, and, and everyone's losing their mind. So I've got the eye josh in my hand, and I'm trying to do like the panoramic, you know, turn all the way around. And as I turned, I was face-to-face with Bevo. Very large animal, huge. Horns as far as the eye can see either direction. He's right in front of me. And as everyone else is going crazy, the juxtaposition is this guy is not moving. He's just standing there. He's not even moving a muscle. I don't think he blinked. He was totally unfazed by the chaos around him. So I had a newfound respect for him. And I was also very close to him. Probably could have gotten a little head swipe or two in. No one would have seen me. But that's the first time I'd seen Bebo in person. That was fun, even though nothing really happened. Then the third story is also from earlier this year, and it was in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was when Ole Miss was in town. A lot of you remember this because uh, trash rained down on the field and Lane Kiffin, Odell Beckham, the water bottle, but that's why I remember it too, I won't lie. But there's another thing that happened. Smokey, who I've been around a few times, is the Tennessee mascot. Now, when it's a little more chilly outside, as it was that night, I think the temperatures were in the 40s by the time the game ended. Smokey takes off his normal little checkered outfit. Colin, I don't know what you guys call that. I call it a checkered outfit. And he put on a full blanket, a little fleece blanket. I don't think it was one of those knockoffs they sell at flea markets around the South where they're illegally using the licensing of the team. I think it was authentic. I think it was a university-issued fleece blanket for Smokey. So he's wrapped in it. Now, a lot of times, as I said in these games, this is not the NFL. It's not a sanitized environment. So you find yourself in some pretty interesting situations. Like you'll be standing next to those mascots a lot. At Auburn, you'll be next to a bald eagle before you even know it. Well, at Tennessee this past year, I am during a commercial break, I think, or maybe between plays, you know, I I squat in like a catcher stance just to, you know, save wear and tear on the knees and because I'm tired. Smokey's next to me. And I didn't realize it because I'm so focused, but it's dipped into the mid-40s. It's kind of cold, and I did not have a jacket on. I mean, I was wearing a T-shirt like I'm wearing right now. I was a little bit cold, too, but when I got down in that catcher stance, I was like eye-to-eye with Smokey, who's just sitting next to me, very quiet, very reserved. But I kind of glance over, and he's, he's shivering a little bit. He's a little cold, you know? He's, he's not unaffected. And so, as I told Jesse earlier today, I don't know why I did it, because I know he cannot understand English. And I know that no one was filming me, so I wasn't doing it for show. But I just looked at him, and he looked at me, and we're both kind of shaking. And I said, me too, buddy. Straight face. He didn't say anything back. And I stood right back up, and the game went on. And it ended the way it ended. But in that moment, I felt like we connected. So I talked to Smokey. He's cold, I'm cold, we're both shivering, ready to get out of there. Me too, buddy. I'll never forget that. And I doubt that he will either. So those are three mascot stories I have. I haven't been around when some of the crazy things have happened. You know, like Bevo and Ugga, we just talked about both of them. They actually got into it almost at the Sugar Bowl. It would have been a very quick fight. But yeah, we're showing footage of it if you're watching the video. Like this right here? No, I wasn't around for that. That would have been a sight to behold. Get out of there, buddy. Yeah, get out for the best. So mascots, live mascots, it's unpredictable, but it's an element I love about college football. 
And the element that I really love in addition to just the mascots on this particular program is my ability to do what I'm about to do before you even know it's coming. We'll be right back. Got him. Got him. I hate to do it to you guys, but I have to do it to you. Uh, we're back. I, my, my vow to you, we will not do it again the rest of the show. Adam, next up, Adam asks, top five jerseys in college football. I responded to him. I'm sure this won't be controversial at all. So there's no winning on this. You know, anything that people care about, if I put out a ranking, it's inevitable that someone will disagree on it. So I'm just going to throw my principle out there, my theory out there first. A lot of you guys love the uniform thing. Like this is where Oregon and I don't get along. When I look at Oregon's uniforms, I do think they look sharp. But when I'm ranking my favorite uniforms, you got to understand I'm a tradition guy. I'm a pageantry guy. I love that about this sport, you can watch a game from 1978 and watch a game from 2022. And there are some things that haven't changed. A lot of things have changed most of the time for the better, sometimes for the worse. But I do like some of those threads of tradition to hold the generations together. And uniforms are part of that. And so for that reason, some of the uniforms that some of you guys think are boring, I revere. I love them. So this is going to sound either great to you or it's going to sound ridiculous to you. My favorite uniform in college football is Alabama because it is the same every single year. And it also represents historic tradition. Um, to me, the most high profile program in college football, both now and historically. I, for the record, am a bigger fan of their road whites than I am of the crimson. I believe they call them the icy whites. I love the white on white. The white on white color scheme is hard to mess up. Uh, I, you talk to the players there. Most of the players love the road unis more than the home unis. But the crimson, you can't go wrong with the crimson either. Second uniform I love is even more bland than the first, and that is Penn State. I like Penn State because of the same reasons I like Alabama. A lot of history, and it also looks the same now as it did uh, when our forefathers played at Penn State well back in the day. Don't check the history books on that. Uh, so Penn State, road, home, either way. I think they both look good. I'm always a white on white guy. Penn State's got the white helmet too. So the white on white on white. Love that. Cause grass stains show up so much better on the white on white. Third uniform, which I gave serious consideration to putting number one, is USC. Always loved USC. And I remember when I was a youth, shall we say, down in the state of Georgia, you know, it was almost wrong to watch Pac-12 football where I grew up. You know, people would look at you funny. They would ask kind of what's wrong. It's like if I got caught watching USC versus Arizona State, it was almost akin to getting caught watching late night Cinemax, if you know what I mean. But I watched it anyway. I snuck it. Uh, VHS tape, maybe. Go to your friend's house, maybe. But USC's uniforms are awesome. And much as is the case with the first two schools, they look the same today, road or home. Either way, they look the same today as they always have. Those colors really, really pop. Even back in the day, those colors popped. Even back in the Sam Cunningham days, those colors popped. So you give me USC. I don't care if you make them number one. I would not argue very strongly against you if you made them number one. Number four for me is Michigan. And I know a lot of you out there think the Michigan uniform is the best. Anytime someone's talking helmet design, a lot of people throw Michigan up there as the best helmet design. I think it's a really good helmet, but I, I just like the uniform overall. And the thing about it is it's... It's a uniform where the color scheme stays the same, but unlike the first two schools there uh, in USC, I guess kind of too, Michigan has played around some 
Like occasionally they'll have a different design. I, I'm a fan of keeping it the same. So they're traditional homes and traditional roads. Those are the ones I like at number four. And then number five, and it's a program I don't get to see in person all too often, a couple of times, but Notre Dame. Notre Dame, uh, this is the one where the helmet really does it for me. Notre Dame sometimes will give some different color combina uh, combinations, but uh, to me, disproportionately for Notre Dame, it's the helmet that really appeals to me. So I went Bama, I went Penn State, I went USC, I went Michigan, I went Notre Dame. There are several others that were kind of off the beaten path, like UCLA, I love. Um, I, the Clemson Tiger Paw, I love. I love the Virginia Tech logo on the helmet. UCLA is a very classic look. The Ole Miss Powder Blues, I love. Tennessee, love them. So now we're quickly going down a road here where I'm not going to mention a program and get in a lot of trouble. Texas, great. Oklahoma, great. Uh, Nebraska, love Nebraska's uniforms. And then Iowa State for sentimental reasons, I like to. Uh, Iowa State's got the Hulk Hogan color scheme. Like who's going to argue against that? Not NWO Hogan. I'm talking about red and yellow, uh, American hero Hogan of the 80s. So those are some uniform combinations I like. I know the comment section will look like a Christmas tree. It'll just be lit up right now. And that's fine. That's why we do these videos. But Bama, Penn State, USC, Michigan, Notre Dame, if you display tradition, then I'm all about it. Speaking of someone we just kind of referenced, just passingly in the end there, Georgia Sports, next up, asks, what is your view on Dabo Swinney and the success he's had at Clemson? Obviously, he had a part, now listen to this wording, obviously he had a part in their two national championships. But I'm a believer that Venables, Deshaun Watson, and Trevor Lawrence are the only reason he's viewed as such a great coach. In my opinion, Clemson is on its way down. You know, a lot of things can be true here simultaneously. Now, I'm a believer that Clemson, along with Texas, is one of the two most interesting programs to watch in America this year, because the way you ended that statement, I don't know definitively yet. You say you think they're on the way down. We're going to go a long way in finding that out this year. But look, this entire premise of Dabo Swinney is only a product of the assistant coaches he surrounded himself with and the players that he recruited. Well, that's all any head coach is a product of. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Nick Saban wasn't racking up national championships at Michigan State. He didn't do it until he got to the South. And then he loaded up a, a coaching staff at LSU that was insane. Uh, Kirby's down there. Who Jimbo Fisher's down there. Kirk Ferentz is down there. All those future pro and college head coaches are down there. Muschamp's down there. And he locked down the state of Louisiana. It, it, when you got a bunch of Marcus Spears on your team, yeah, it makes you a whole lot more likely to win. So do we say it about any other coach is what I'm asking. Do we say that about Nick Saban? Like when has Nick Saban won a national title where he didn't have a great staff and didn't have great players? So yes, I mean, the fact of the matter is sure Dabo Swinney's a product of having really great players and sure he's a product of benefiting from really great coaches. Who implemented the culture that attracted all that? You know, cause that's a head coach's ultimate job. An assistant coach's job is to coach. A head coach's job is to coach, but it's also to implement, it's to cast vision, it's to lead, it's to steer the ship. That's what he's doing. And he's done a really good job of it. You know, if his career were to end today, Dabo Swinney's a Hall of Famer. You know that, right? Dabo Swinney has won two national championships and resurrected a program in Clemson and took it to heights it has never before seen. And also, let's please not overlook this, who did he go through to win the national championships? 
he didn't do it like, you know, somebody maybe a hundred years from now would think he did it. When you're looking back on the Bama dynasty and it stretches from the late 2000s to whenever Nick Saban hangs him up. If someone else won a national championship in that time period, you'll think, oh, that must have happened when Bama had a down year. They went through Bama two times to do it. So they didn't have an easy path. I mean, the teams they were beating included Alabama in route to winning multiple national championships. No one else has done it. Did he do it with great players? Yeah. Uh, you wake me up when someone does it without great players. Did he do it with a great staff? Yeah, ditto. Wake me up when someone doesn't do it with a great staff. Now, here's the follow-up question, and here's what I wonder. The, the million-dollar question around Clemson is uh, pertaining to what I think was part of the issue this past year. I just felt like they were stale. I've talked about this before. I felt like one of the problems that's been creeping up on Clemson, which I call a consequence of success, is a staleness that exists because you have it so right, you've got the formula so perfected in your mind that there's no need to bring anything else from the outside in. Dabo has, has rarely, if ever, gone to the portal. Uh, he does not go outside for hires. They promote from within. That's wonderful. That's indicative of a great culture. But here's the risk you run. The risk you run is you go from you know being a body of water, because we only talk metaphors around here, with a bunch of rivers feeding into it. Therefore, you've got the main source of water, but there is freshness coming in from different directions. You go from that to just becoming stagnant. It's just a pond, and there is no fresh water flowing into it. Well, at Clemson, you know, they've, they've been isolated up there, and they've kept the internal internal for so long. Nothing new has really made its way into Clemson in quite a while. Well, when they had Venables leave to go to Oklahoma, and they had Tony Elliott leave to go to Virginia, you remember if you were watching the show, I talked at great length about how I thought it was, it was really a crossroad moment for Dabo. People overuse that a lot, but it was a true crossroad moment because I thought it was time for him to maybe buck a typical trend and go outside for hires. Well, they didn't. They promoted from within a couple of guys who have never had coordinator experience. And he said he made the decision without too much forethought. He said, it took a few seconds for me to figure that out, I think was paraphrasing, but that was one of his loose quotes. He said, I, I knew what I was going to do immediately. Okay, look, guy knows his program and knows his personnel better than me. That's the million dollar question for me, though. If they're on their way down, I think what I just talked about will end up being a contributing factor, more so than losing any one coach or more so than, than losing any one player. Because if you've got the culture right, you can attract new commodities in the way of players and coaches. And when I say commodity, Dabo Swinney's a commodity too. I'm a commodity here. We're all commodities to some extent. But one of them has to be the leader. Dabo's the leader. So, yeah, I, I don't know if they're on their way down, but it's, it's one of the most interesting programs to watch this year because of those elements in play. Next up, a very, a very, eh, what should I call this? A very complex question because there are a lot of places I haven't been. So here's the question. The Big Z next up asks, what are three stadiums you've never been to that you most want to go to? Arkansas is clearly number one. I've talked about this before. Arkansas is a place where it always seems like when they have a big game there, there's always a game that's a little bit bigger somewhere else, i.e. this past year. I think it was week two, Jesse. I think I want to say week two when Texas goes to Arkansas. And remember, that was that same day where Oregon was at Ohio State. I went to Iowa, Iowa State, because that was the biggest game in that series history. And I have 
a rooting interest there. I'm not too ashamed to admit. So, of course, I watch the game and I look at the scene there, the environment. And I say, man, I wish I would have been at Arkansas, but I couldn't have been there. Well, here's the other thing. I've never been there. I have not been up there for so much as an FCS game. I've never been there. So we have got to get to a game at Arkansas. I consider it a personal failure. I have not only let you down, I've let myself down by not being at Arkansas. So we're looking at the schedule this year. We're going to make it happen. We are going to make it happen. I don't make many promises here. That means you don't have to live up to anything. We're going to make that happen. So Arkansas... Cincinnati's in their week one. They've, they've, of course, got several big games because they're playing the SEC. Uh, they go to Brigham Young. Isn't that right? I think we said they go to Brigham Young. They play them uh, some which way. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to figure out a way to go to Arkansas. Okay, then the next one is a little bit further west, and it's Oklahoma. I've also not been to a game at Oklahoma. The Oklahoma games I have been to have all either been neutral site in terms of playoff or they've been neutral site in terms of Red River. So I have not been to a game in Norman. And it's a place, it's one I have had circled. I thought for all the world, the Iowa State game was going to be one this past year. It just didn't play out that way. There ended up being bigger games. So Oklahoma, always a place. And see, Oklahoma steps up. They play big out-of-conference games. So even if it's not Big 12 action that has drawn me there in the past, we got the out-of-conference potential going for us. And also, they're about to head to the SEC so, I mean, we, we could be watching Florida at Oklahoma in a couple of years. We could be watching, like, Alabama at Oklahoma in a couple of years. Let's make sure we get to Oklahoma. And then thirdly, West Virginia is another place I've really, I've really longed to go to. Uh, West Virginia is a place where I feel like I would fit in. West Virginia culture just kind of feels like sort of the culture that I was raised in a lot more so than, you know, maybe some of the other places I actually go to more often. I love, um, I love Take Me Home Country Roads. I know every word to it. So I would be right at home in the post-game scene there. I've never lit a couch on fire, but I'm not saying I'm opposed to lighting furniture on fire. Certainly, if the situation is right and the elements are conducive, yeah, let's light some furniture on fire. Why not? So West Virginia, always looking for a reason to get up there. Oklahoma and Arkansas, I mean, this is, this is a virtual to-do list for our upcoming 2022 yet-to-be-named tour this fall. Uh, speaking of fall, it's a wonderful season. It's the season we all look forward to because, well, college football is coming. But there is a question here. There's a very important question here. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to respond. Question. If your soon-to-be wife really wants a fall wedding, is a good compromise having it the Saturday that our team has a buy? Now, I'm going to assume some things here. I'm going to assume that when you say our team, you and the wife or the future missus have the same rooting interest. Okay, we've established that. Now, I'm against fall weddings on Saturdays at all costs because unless you're eloping, you are, I assume, inviting people to this wedding. And those people are going to be from varied backgrounds and they're going to have very different rooting interests. And so just because you and the missus pull for Team X doesn't mean that half of the congregation may not be checking their phones because they're pulling for team Y. So look, it's your personal life. I always offer this caveat. You live your life the way you want to live your life, but if you want my advice, spring is a wonderful time to have weddings. I also really wish that our culture would popularize weekday weddings 
You do everything else on weekdays. I don't know why a perfectly good Saturday in the fall has to be reserved for this. All about the institution of marriage. I just, the, um, the wedding infrastructure in this country, not the biggest fan of for reasons that I won't get into. But let's think this through now. If, if weekday is out of the question, I understand this is a much bigger deal to her probably than to you. If weekday is out of the question and spring is out of the question and we truly are insisting on going through with this thing in the fall, yes, do it on the most advantageous bye week you can find. There's not going to be a perfect compromise if you're inviting people to this thing. Which brings me to my final point, and that is the people you're inviting. The trade-off for me telling you, it's your life, feel free to have a wedding on a fall Saturday. The trade-off for me acquiescing there is you have to acquiesce and you have to understand this point. Don't assume that your life is as important to everyone else as it is to you. I'm going to be blunt. I'm telling you because your buddies want to tell you, but they're unwilling to tell you. You're going to have some people who are going to rain check this thing. You're going to have some people who are going to shoot you a ghost. They're going to RSVP. You're going to get the food ordered. You're going to get their place at the table and they're going to no show. And it's going to be because of allergies or uh, some, some COVID variant that no one's ever heard of and no one ever will hear of. There are going to be a million different excuses, but they're going to no show you. And the reality is they just don't care about your wedding as much as you do. But what they do care about is they do care about Michigan versus Michigan State. And so I am humbly but firmly begging you to not go down the route that has ruined many a friendship and relationship in the past. Don't go down the route of texting your buddy or worse of all, looking them in the eye face to face and saying, well, I guess you're telling me that Michigan State football is more important than our friendship. Don't do that. Don't do that because that's not what they're telling you. They're telling you Michigan State football is more important than your wedding, not your marriage, your wedding. The wedding and the marriage are two different things. You're already married before you actually have the wedding. So let's all be real here. This is a ceremony. And yes, if they won't tell you, I will. Some of your friends absolutely do value one of those 12 Saturdays in the fall more than your wedding. And if that's too much to handle, then that's too much to handle. But there is compromise that has to be had on both sides of the respective aisle here. If we're going to insist on going through with a fall wedding, which I would outlaw wholesale via executive order if I were either president or a college football commissioner. Either way, they're outlawed, so enjoy them while you can. But if we're going to follow through on this ridiculous fall wedding concept on a Saturday and not acknowledge the weekday wedding or even the Friday or Sunday wedding potential or spring-summer wedding potential, and we're going to invite people, just understand that with every action, there is an equal and in some cases an uglier opposite reaction. And if we're comfortable with that, if we're good, everyone's good, everyone's good, okay, we're all shaking our heads, yes, then there you go. Wedding bells for all, or maybe not, we'll see. Keep me updated though, always interested. We, we, we had a big fight last year, the reason I'm hesitant to talk about this, we had a big fight where one of our listeners, he knows who he is, I hope he's still a listener, he told me he was in a predicament where one of his friends was getting married, and I think that he was invited to the wedding, he was in the wedding, that's what it was, he was in the wedding. And it was a fall Saturday. And so uh, the mistake has been made a million times before. This was just a million and one. And he asked me for advice. And I asked him, can I read this on air? He said, yes. I used real names. He gave me permission. Then he took the clip where I said roughly what I just said. And he sent it to his buddy who was getting married. And then his buddy just goes crazy via text. And drops the, I guess you're saying football is more important than our friendship line. And then 
the aforementioned question asker screenshots the back and forth and sends it to me and then shows me a friendship just crumbling right before our eyes because of our podcast. But I don't think it was because of our podcast. I take no blame for this. It is not our responsibility. We were just a variable. The actual cause of all this was and always will be Saturday weddings in the fall. Very few good things come from them. Maybe a good picture or two. But just think of all the people Saturdays that you are raining on. That's all I ask. That's all I ask. Spring is such a wonderful time of year to get married. Or Wednesday in November. Maybe a little bit more bleak. Maybe looks like the lyrics to uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald outside. But still, it's better than missing the third and fourth quarter of Ohio State, Penn State for. Okay, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure... And I emphasize this strongly because it's helping us out even as I speak. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you get your pods. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you are on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed there. Those things help us out greatly this time of year. And with that in mind, let's dip out. Have yourselves a great early start to your weekend. For Direct Colin, for Producer Jesse, and our production executives, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. We'll see you Sunday night. Until then, God bless.